Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss, a Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Project Future podcast. In this episode, I speak with growth technologies evangelist and motivational speaker, Grant Asplund. As recommended by Shira Shamban in episode 13. It's an enlightening conversation full of stories. For more than 20 years, Grant has been sharing his insights on how businesses can best protect themselves from sophisticated cyber attacks in an increasingly complex world. COVID restrictions aside, Grant travels the world enthralling audiences with his passionate and relational storytelling at conferences like Next 100 CIOs and numerous media interviews. Grant's wide range of cybersecurity experience informs his talks, having served in diverse roles ranging from sales, marketing, business development and senior management. Grant's the host of the Talking Cloud podcast on cloud security and founder of BeGranted.com. He's also lived a fascinating life and shares with us his career over 40 years alongside his aspirations for the future, whilst also sharing inspirational advice and truths we can all take forwards, regardless of our industry, background or phase of life. In this episode, Grant explains how he got visibility of how a business operates early on in his career, why you have to put yourself out there, why success is never achieved alone, how he sells holes, not drill bits, how to be bold and memorable, why we're all imperfect and what you can do about it, why we all need to learn to unlearn, the opportunity to make a difference after a traditional retirement, and finally, why he's pissed and the difference it's made to his life. Grant's best advice is that deep faith eliminates fear. It will make sense when he explains. Let's have a listen. Hi Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Rob. It's great to be here. Now, I'm very excited to speak with you today and to learn so much more about your story than I know so far. So I'd, I'd love for you to start by telling us a bit about your background and what got you started in business. Wow. You, this is a frequent question. I'm sure you know, uh, Rob. Hey, tell me about yourself. And, <laughs> you know, a, a guy like me that's got a few decades under his belt and then some, it's the first thing I think, okay, where do I start? You know, because I could go way back and, and we could talk about a lot of things. But, you know, the fact of the matter is my background is broad and varied, Rob. Uh, unlike maybe 
some of your guests and some professionals, I've been incredibly fortunate, but my course has never been charted with any uh, logic, okay? I'm, and, and what I mean is, uh, you know, as a youngster, I had aspirations of playing sports and thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I always imagined myself walking around in a business suit carrying a briefcase with the Wall Street Journal. That was kind of the visual I just constantly had in my head. But, you know, I was fortunate. I got hired by a guy to sell fishing tackle and knives for a wholesale distributor, Rob. This was years ago before you were born, 1979. I was 19 years old and I didn't carry a knife. I didn't fish. It was to me dreadfully boring, but I needed a job. And I got this job and, and uh, it, I ended up being the right-hand man for this guy. But it was a really small wholesale distributor with about 30,000, 40,000 SKUs, hooks, line, lures. I mean, you can imagine if you've ever walked down the fishing tackle aisle, how many different items we Options. had. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a remarkable, you know, size 14, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4. I mean, seriously. And 10 different types of hooks, right? I mean, it was crazy. And we literally robbed Peter to pay Paul. I mean, uh, this was seven employees, three company cars, and we didn't even do a million pounds a year. I mean, it was literally less than a, a million dollars U.S., so it was you know, considerably less than a million pounds. Yep. I mean, it was, it was just this small. And I remember uh, answering the phone. And it's a customer that I'm going to go see. And, hey, do you want me to bring you anything? And they'd give me the items of what they want, flashers, this, that. I'd go check. We didn't have it. I, and I, hold on a second. I'd tell my boss. He'd say, hey, run down to the supplier, pick them up. Okay. Then I'd call up the supplier on the other line. Hey, can I buy six dozen Dodgers? Oh, we owe you a check? How much? Sure, I can bring you a check for $300. And the invoice that I'm picking up, the Dodgers, is $600. So we literally would kind of get excited thinking, hey, we got positive cash flow. We're going to get a $600 order filled, and I only got to take them a check for $300. But this was how I learned the very early days of how you navigate and manage a business. It's a fantastic grounding, isn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah. And those type of small businesses, I think that's, it's absolutely so key, especially for a young mind to be able to see exactly what can happen. Precisely right. And we, you know, what we also had is, is, you know, this was back before computers, which, you know, interestingly enough is how I got into computers, but Mr. Sillinge would come in once a week and, you know, it was literally the card uh, accounting system that he'd pull the, out of the card file, the account, and he'd make the entry in, in, uh, pencil and put it back in the card. I mean, it was very, very basic, but it also enabled me, this young kid grew up with food stamps and free lunches, uh, to understand and kind of see how the business operated. And it really laid the groundwork for me. And then, uh, amazingly, uh, two and a half years later, uh, this guy, John Ulis, who I credit with so much in my life, 
he went out and bought a computer to manage all of our SKUs, all of our products. And then about a month later, he looked at uh, me and he said, you know, we should be selling these, not fishing tackle. And that wow. one year later, we opened up an Apple computer store in Tacoma, Washington, in the Pacific Northwest. And I couldn't spell computer, Rob, uh, but that's how I got into the technology industry in 1979. I love that. So there was a pivot within the company that you were working for. Yeah, it was, it was what it was. And, and it's a really good point. This is a guy, he, I mean, the story of him and his family is kind of interesting. Uh, a, a, a son, uh, two boys, I should say, two boys, husband and wife in Latvia, Russia's invading. They get on the last boat out of Latvia before the Russians invade. They come to America. Can't speak a stitch of English, uh, wants to start a business. So Art Ulis uh, started importing knives from Solingen, Germany. He would literally go out and carpet bag. I mean, knock on the door. Hey, Rob, check out. Here's my samples. I've got this knife. I've got this knife. No, you don't want any? Okay. Net. I mean, truly the carpetbagger uh, uh, canvassing and selling. Yeah. And he built his business up out of his house. And, and then he just moved into this small little uh, warehouse and it was really growing. Now it's, you know, over a half a million dollars annually gross with gross profits less than 20%. <laughs> and then he dies. And so John, who was actually teaching at the university, uh, was faced with a conundrum. Do I liquidate the business, put my mother and my cousin out of business, they have no job anymore, or do I quit my job as a teacher, educator, and take over the family business and try to make a go of it? And that's what he did. And it was the four or five years of struggle in this business that had just, I mean, you're selling a gross of hooks, Rob, for $1.80. And your margin on that is 18%. I'll let your listeners do the math. But suffice to say, nobody's planning Hawaiian vacations uh, when you sell a couple of boxes of hooks, right? I mean, there's no money in it. And so he had that keen insight uh, that there's got to be, you know, because he was constantly driving the business. And then when we saw this computer and then, you know, he saw through the eye of the needle and said, wow, this is the future. This is what we should be selling. And there was only one other computer store in the entire county. And so quite fortuitous for me, 1983, I'm 23 years old and I help him open up an Apple dealership couldn't spell computer. So that was a really, really long answer. And I haven't even gotten uh, past the age of 25. Um, so like I told you, I wasn't sure where I should start. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the foundation is always exciting. You know, I really do. I think it's key for everybody in terms of where they start their journey and when they get that first big break. You know, I know you're, you're really interested in, in looking at both the effort that comes into these things and making, you know, getting a break effectively. And, it's it's uh, it's critical, Rob. I mean, I, I think um, we first of all, you know, I tell my kids, I've told my kids f forever, life is like an at bat at baseball. 
You know, you, you stand at the plate. You do not put the bat on your shoulder and just wait for fastballs, right? You swing. And, and in fact, you swing for the fence, unless you're given the bunt sign, of course. But, you know, metaphorically speaking, that's what it's all about. You're at the plate to hit the cover off the ball. And so I really believe that it's critically important to put yourself out there. And, you know, that sounds so much easier said than done, because oftentimes we get into people's comfort or uncomfort zones when you have to put yourself out there. For example, you got a new business. You, you've got to go and meet people. You've got to go and talk to people. You've got to go and introduce yourself. You've got to go participate. You've got to be at events. You've got to ask questions. And the list goes on, right? I mean, you have to participate. You have to put yourself out there because that's what creates the opportunities and the breaks. But that's the other thing. You know, you need somebody's got to give you a break, and even if it means, yeah, I'll hire you. That that could be the break. But uh, in order to get those breaks, you do have to put yourself out there, I think. Yep. You have to put yourself out there. And then when that break comes or the opportunity comes, you have to seize it. I think that's that's the bit that comes from 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 my angle on there. I, I think it, you know, I think opportunities can often drift by or not be taken up. And it's it's recognizing what the opportunity is and absolutely seizing it when when the opportunity comes. There's a guy, you know, all of us in our lives. If we really just kind of pause and, and think in somewhat of a linear fashion from when I was a teenager to wherever you are now, and, and if you really kind of page through those years, there are people that come in and out of your life that have really significant impacts, right? I mean, there are different people we meet along the way that are with us on a portion of our journey. Some, if we're fortunate, uh, they're lifelong partners. But even those don't always end up that way. But it's interesting, the lessons we can learn, the insights we can gain with these brief interludes of acquaintances and relationships that we have through life. And no one ever has achieved greatness all simply by themselves and alone. In fact, the greatest accomplishments, the greatest people, while we sometimes associate them with people, uh, it's because those individuals surrounded themselves uh, themselves with greatness. And, you know, I think it's important to always remember that you got to put yourself out there. You got to swing for the fence, but you also got to be able to go and and uh, as you said, seize the opportunity. And there was a guy, Rob uh, Thomas, uh, God rest his soul. But I remember one time telling him how lucky I was. And I, I can't even remember what it was. And he stopped and he looked at me. He said, Grant, there's no such thing as luck. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe uh, you could say there is some luck. But really... It's opportunity met with preparation. And I thought about it for a second. And, you know, you can just about explain every occurrence of luck as, in fact, an opportunity you were prepared to take advantage of. And that's why it worked out well. 
even if it's something like you're walking down the streets of London, okay, Rob, it's rainy and drizzly, and you look down and you notice your shoes untied. So you say to your wife and uh, kid, hang on a second, I, I got to tie my shoe, and you bend down, and it just so happens, kind of trapped in that watery mud puddle that you're standing next to is a folded up 50-pound note. Couldn't really see it because you had to get closer, <laughs> right? It had a little mud on it. But was that luck? Or was the opportunity for you to find a 50-pound note there and you took advantage of it by happening to pause and, and look down at that time, right? I mean, opportunity met with preparation. <laughs> I love it. I would have prepared by putting my contact lenses in as well, or I wouldn't have seen the <laughs> right. in the first place. <laughs> so that, that's brilliant. It really is. So let, let's move on a bit. Let's. So you went through. You, you set up the the Apple Store, and then you yep. worked for Apple for a few years, didn't you? You. Yep, that's right. In fact, you know, it was really remarkable. And I, when I say I, I couldn't spell computer. I, I, I can't stress this enough. You know, I grew up at a time when. There were. I learned to type on an IBM Selectric typewriter. Okay, uh, there were no computers in school at all, and so for me, truly, the first time I ever touched a computer was the day we opened up the store. Uh, it was the day before we opened up the store because I took home a brand new Apple IIe uh, to put together and learn about, and so. And and I think this is also one of the things that's really kind of amazing for me, at least I feel in my life, because, you know, I went to work for a food broker when I was 19 years old, got laid off because the gas crunch. And I met a guy who introduced me to John at the Fishing Tackle distributor. I, I can't believe I worked for the food broker. And I certainly couldn't believe that now I'm selling Fishing Tackle for a wholesale distributor. Then I'm doing computers and I couldn't spell computer. I proud, you know, this is, I guess, my Andy Warhol uh, 15 minutes of fame, but I'm proud to say the first Macintosh computer that was purchased by Warehouser, Alaska Airlines, oh, and a handful of other companies in the Pacific Northwest, they purchased from me. So it's kind of my slice of history. And Apple noticed that, hey, this kid can sell the businesses. And so they offered me a job to open their office in Anchorage, Alaska. I'd never been there, but I accepted. And uh, so I opened Apple's office in 1987 in Anchorage, Alaska. And I was a unique guy. I handled uh, the channel. So all of our uh, dealers, uh, state and local government and national accounts, Arco and British Petroleum were there. So I was a multi-feathered bird up there, but it was really a terrific experience. Uh, and then got promoted, went down to corporate with them, and then left and went off and did something else. Um, I think that's when I went from hardware to software. You'll appreciate this one, Rob. I'm in the interview with uh, John Scott, who's the president of the software company I was interviewing with. And all the while, uh, I'd only sold uh, computers or at least worked for hardware companies, Apple. And I remember he looked across the table at me and he said, Grant, do you think you're going to be able to sell software? I mean, you've only worked for hardware companies. 
And I remember I looked across the table at him and I said, John, I don't sell drills and I don't sell drill bits. I sell holes. So I don't think I'll have any problem at all. Because in my mind, the drill is the computer, the drill bit is the software. I can't make a hole without them. And in fact, I bet you uh, and every listener, for if if for uh, $9.95, uh, we could go down to the hardware store and buy a one-inch hole in a poly bag, um, we would do that. But we can't, right? We have to buy a drill, a drill bit, a level, a, a ladder. So the real message there is understand what you're selling, right? Yeah. Understand what it is you're providing. The pieces, and that's not what you buy. When you go buy a skill drill and, and that drill bit set, right? You're buying a hole. That's what you're buying. That's right. You're, you're, buying, a, you're buying a solution to your problem. Very, put very Correct. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. And I, I love the example as well. I've never heard that before. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really good one that I think everybody will be able to relate to. So no, it's, it's fascinating. When I used to, when we could travel and hopefully when we travel again, I'm a big uh, prop user, right? And so I'll actually hold up uh, a little plastic bag with a cardboard uh, topper on it that has a hole punched in it. So it looks like it came off of a pegboard out of a hardware store, but it's empty. And I hold it up and say, can I, somebody give me uh, $10 for this? It's a hole. It'll go on any surface. And the point is, of course, there's no hole in there, but it makes you really give pause and say, yeah, that's what customers buy. They buy holes. The solution. And, and you're exactly right. I'd say you must have enjoyed software because you've you've stayed there for well, on and off for a long period of time as and you now call yourself a cloud evangelist. So I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to know what that means, and you know how how you are evangelical about the cloud. Sure. So so in fact, I think I think my my title now is growth technologies evangelist. Um, <laughs> it's it's changing you know frequently, but I'll I'll tell you. So the evangelist title is something that's very near and dear to me. Quite frankly, I hold a a great deal of pride in the in the role and what it means. Uh, my image of the ideal evangelist is Guy Kawasaki. That was when I got introduced to the name. And really, I think it's just someone that truly is uh, committed, focused, passionate, uh, uh, informed, knowledgeable about a particular subject matter, and then subsequently can convey that. Uh, yes, I've been in software for a number of years. In fact, um, it's funny, I went to work. It, it was probably one of the lowest points in my life, Rob. Um, I was skidding on my chin. I had been separated for uh, nearly a year from my wife of eight and a half years. Uh, I had uh, two nickels to rub together. I mean, literally, I had $30 in the bank and $5 in my pocket. I remember I, I stressed out when my dad and all my brothers wanted to go to have some lunch because I just I didn't have any money. And uh, I was out of work. 
it was just an ugly, ugly time. And uh, I got a call from a recruiter. Hey, uh, they've got this startup company looking for a hotshot salesman. Okay, I'm when can I go? You know, I didn't even ask, what do they sell? <laughs> you know, you'd think that would be the first question. But I was really, uh, I was in dire straits. I needed to get a job. And I remember through the entire interview, I sat on the edge of the seat. And it's something I encourage people to do. It forces you to sit up and it demonstrates a, a real desire to go out and, and get started. Um, but I guess I was about 15 minutes into the interview and I said to Scott, uh, who became my boss, hey, do you have a presentation that you'd normally deliver to your customers on, a say, a first call? He said, yeah, we've got that. And I said, okay, give me your slide deck and 15 minutes and I'll sell you your product. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, you're cocky, aren't you? Um, and he gave me the slides and I took the 15 minutes and um, that's, that's what I did. And my point is, I know what I'm good at. And I think we have to be bold sometimes and put ourselves out there, like I was talking about earlier, and do something that is memorable and, and uh, demonstrates uh, your skills and capabilities outside of the traditional, well, Rob, tell me about yourself. How do you do, you know what I mean? That traditional interviewing process. I mean, sometimes you got to put it out and say, this is the guy you really want, isn't it? Someone that can go in and say, hi, my name's Grant. How are you? You know, this is who you're looking for. Show them, right? And uh, that, that was how I ended up getting the job. And then two months later, Checkpoint acquired us. And I was Checkpoint's first worldwide evangelist. And, and uh, it's just been outstanding ever since. No, that's great. And uh, I love the, the the whole angle of that. I think that applies in so many ways. It's, you know, in, in terms of getting in front of a new client or whatever it may be, but just taking ownership and taking responsibility of the of the situation. And that's exactly what you you did there. And uh, of, of course, you stood out because, you know, sometimes people are, are asked to do that kind of thing in interview, but they they go, oh, do I, you know, do I have to, you know, someone leaves the room for 10 minutes, go and prepare this. But to have, have put that on yourself, of, of course, that was going to stand out and kind of get that recognition. So, so no, it's, it's a great story. And if it didn't, what, you know, here's something I tell you, you know, I'm, I am, I, when we spoke last time, Rob, I think you picked up on this, but, you know, I am such a, a huge believer in, you know, positive mental attitude in, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Uh, yep. You know, uh, visualization. I, I just got through uh, reading a book about this whole subconscious mind and how we shape ourselves. And it really ties into some of the stuff I talked to you about before on, you know, being powerful, independent, strong, secure every day. You know, there are things that I've learned and certainly you have to not be afraid because ladies and gentlemen, all you're going to do is die. Right. Steve Jobs so famously said that at the, uh, uh, when he, when he was talking to a Stanford class, he says, if there is anything that should motivate you to go to, to want to go out and try and change the world, it's knowing you're just going to die. 
And I don't mean to sound so morbid, but I mean, I love little colloquialisms like this too will pass because nothing is forever, right? It's remembering these important things. I think I talked to you, Rob, the last time about one of my absolute favorite readings. And I I look at it like a snack. I read it often. Uh, Whenever I'm feeling like I need it, I read it again. And it's just a great piece of literature, in my opinion. It's called The Ten Scrolls by Ogmandino. It comes from his book, The Greatest Salesman in the World, which I think is really poorly titled. And you could almost say, what do you want to be? I want to be the greatest plumber in the world. I want to be the greatest welder in the world. I want to be the greatest singer in the world. You really could replace salesman with whatever it is you aspire to be. And that book will resonate with you. And it's, I mean, there's just so many things in the 10 scrolls that I think we all need to remember, right? Um, Because the fact of the matter is, man, you're the way you are because that's how you've learned to be. I'm the way I am because that's how I've learned to be. And we all come from imperfect parents, so we all learn wrong. And we all learn a masterful job at how to be imperfect. And, and this is why we got to learn to cut ourselves some slack. And we have to be able to step out of ourselves, you know, abstract ourselves psychologically and look at ourselves and say, I wish I didn't talk as much. I wish I went for walks more often. I wish, I mean, whatever the, I wish I, and do it. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. I mean, that's so, such a cliche, but I never more in my life have I been a believer of everything begins and ends with you. You are who you want to be. You are who you believe you are and you can be anything. Yeah. I love it. I really do. And I think you, you touched on it there a few minutes ago, but it would have been easy to to overlook uh, by the listeners there. So can you go back and, and tell us a bit more about your acronym and what, sure. what it is that you're doing? So I, I have to, you know, I feel almost like I need to apologize every time you ask me a question, Rob, because I can never just answer it with a single uh, sentence or two. It tends to be a story. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> when you get older, you learn, or at least hopefully you learn. And what I've learned is life is really about continuously learning. Uh, and part of learning is unlearning. And all this came to me, uh, I mentioned previously, you know, I was married for eight and a half years. We get separated. We're not going to make it if we don't uh, uh, go to get counseling and, and, and me move out and blah, blah, blah. And it was a horrible time. And I was devastated. I mean, I was just like a puddle of water. and. Um, Seeked out the very best psychologist I could find. And 30 days in, she got up and bailed. I kept seeing uh, Dr. Bruni for a year, more than a year, once a week. And it was through seeing him and, and, and spending time with him that I realized and learned 
this acronym. And what he used to say to me is, you're strong, you're powerful, you're independent, you're secure. Nobody makes you think or feel anything. You don't make anyone think or feel anything. And a number of other things, but it truly changed my life, truly. So I was writing it down on a piece of paper to kind of teach my son, who was, I think, 11 at the time. And I went, wait, wait a tick. And I just kind of rearranged the words to powerful, independent, strong, secure every day. I'm pissed. And, and it's just edgy enough, but it's such a great message. And it's about owning your own power. It's about understanding that, I mean, how many times, Rob, and any of the listeners, how many times have you been in a, 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 a let's call it an emotional or uh, uh, escalating conversation with someone that's Im, uh, important to you, a, a, a loved one, and, and you hear them say, or you say to them, well, Rob, when you did that, you made me think, well, when you said that, you made me feel... Uh, wrong answer, man. Nobody makes you think or feel anything. Now, that's a tough one to get your hands around because a lot of times you go, what do you mean? Somebody I love tells me something they don't love me anymore. That makes me hurt. Okay, it, it may be hurtful, but it doesn't make you. You have to do it. You, your permission has to be granted for feelings. And one of the powerful things in, in Ogmandino's uh, 10 scrolls is he talks about how, you know, you'll go to bed at night on fire and you'll wake up the next morning kind of melancholy. And why is that? And it's nature's way of kind of taking us through her cycles like she does virtually everything else on the planet. But the difference between you and me is you control you. Nature doesn't uh, uh, control your moods. You do. Now, nature controls the tides, but you control your feelings, your mind. You can choose how you want to be. So I just, I rearrange those words. I like the message. I crafted an in store, uh, entire a message about learning and continually unlearning. And now I go and motivate people on how to own their own power and uh, to be pissed. And in fact, it's funny, you'll appreciate this, Rob. The way my presentation starts is, what do you think, I say to the audience, when I say, I'm pissed? Now, in America, everyone's, oh, you're angry, you're upset. But I say, what if we're in the UK? And you were quick to it when we spoke, right? It's a very different thing. I spent too much time <laughs> down at the pub. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've had too many pints. Um, but, and that's the whole point because I say, why is that? It's because we learn. We learn everything. And I would suggest the most important things in a modern society, we learn how to show love, how to show anger, how to resolve conflict, how to get along with others, how to work with others, how to work independently. And the list goes on. And so for me, the time with Dr. Bruni was liberating, fascinating, and life-changing. Uh, and 
So I kind of just crafted an acronym that I could uh, share his great messages with more people and have them kind of stop when they see that black T-shirt with the white, I'm pissed on the front. They want to know a little more, and then they see it's a very good message. It stands out instantly. i say for the listeners, when we spoke last time, we had video on, and um, not only did DeGrant have that T-shirt on, but he also had some amazing visual aspects that he was bringing into the call um but uh but no the the, the t-shirt stood out instantly and i i do I, I love that word you know in terms of how it is perceived in in the us and in the uk because it is so different you know and uh <laughs> we do have the same phrase but we just had the word off at the end so if you're if you're grumpy by being pissed you're pissed off in the uk right. rather than just rather than just piss so we we do kind of we do kind of half understand it but at the same time it takes it takes a little bit of time to to unlearn as you say and to and, and to and to compute it it's uh, yeah. good to, to, to get the the gist of it but yeah i, I love it and uh, I, I think it's such a a strong statement and stands out and in any presentation that you you do or indeed uh, the book i believe you're, you're writing about it you know it will it will stand out and that's that in itself is a key part of sales isn't it it's it's making yourself stand out and get attention that's right that's exactly right so what's next for you oh boy you know it's funny my wife and i were just talking about this yesterday uh because we were talking actually about people that have jobs for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the same place, and then they retire. And I told her, I have zero aspirations of ever retiring. Even if I get to the point where I can comfortably not have to work, I'm still going to be doing something. And for me right now, you know, I'm loving what I'm doing, working at Checkpoint as a growth technologies evangelist. I mean, it's, it's terrific. I'm also... Uh, an advisor for a couple of software companies have been kicking around some ideas for another startup. So definitely a very busy, just sold a home that we had for 20 years and we just bought 17 and a half acres and have to figure out if I'm building or developing. And so I have a number of irons in the fire, as they say, certainly staying busy. And uh, all the while I'm trying to finalize two books and kick off uh, Be Granted and, and start talking to more, uh, more of our youth about how to be pissed. So I've got a bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's great. It really is the, the energy that you have. And I think, you know, for, for older listeners specifically, I, you know, retirement has changed now. Oh. It's like the whole, the whole kind of pipe and slippers view that people had 20, 30 years ago that's that's gone you yes. know, that's absolutely gone and the the energy and the opportunity that can come in in retirement you know formal retirement as it were and the opportunity to make a difference uh, yeah. during that time is something that i'm really passionate about because I, I think it's it's so key and i'm like you you know i'm i'm only in my late 30s but i'm very much never intend to retire you know yeah. i i intend there would always be something going on i might do less hours but there will always be something going on, right? Something to get you up in, get you up in the morning. That was funny. I have to say, you said um, you're like me. I, you're in your 30s, and I said, okay, well, I'm waiting for the like <laughs> me part. <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you something, Rob. I, 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 I don't even say out loud how old I am. I do. I'm 60, but I do not feel 60 at all. I mean, 
I often say the only time I'm reminded how old I am is when I look in a mirror. I mean, I just feel like (laughs) life is about life is about swinging for the fence. And so as long as I'm above ground and breathe and everything else is a bonus, I'm going to be swinging for the fence. Absolutely. No, it's great. I love it. And uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of really exciting projects to do. And having completed one book, um, I don't envy you doing two at once. <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's been a so, challenge. Next, I, I, I won't do that again, I can promise you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, it's been great talking with you today, Grant. Uh, it really has. And uh, really enlightening in terms of some of the some of the stories that you've told us there. So thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Thank you. There's there's four questions that I ask every guest. So the first one is, what's the one best piece of advice you'd give to someone considering starting their own business? I read it in a fortune cookie. Four words. Look them up in the dictionary. Deep faith eliminates fear. Look up each one. It's really telling. And most significantly, fear real or imagined. So just believe. If you have a passion and a belief for whatever it is you're going to do, go do it. And don't let any hater tell you otherwise. Yeah, I love that. And the the, the fear aspects can so easily put you off and stop and stop you doing yeah. uh, effectively. So yeah, re- real or imagined. Yeah, exactly. That's great. But you suggest to look up all four words in the dictionary. I do, just because it's, for me, it was profound when I read each definition. Uh, The real key is faith has nothing to do with God and fear is real or imagined. So it all comes down to having unwavering belief in yourself, your idea, your project, your commitment, uh, and, and just stay focused on the belief. All the haters will melt away. That's really, really good advice. So the second question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew back when you started, back to the old days? Uh, That I am mortal. Uh, (laughs) And and, and I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but I think it's fair to say when you're young and uh, full head of hair and a great deal of zeal for life, you do forget that it's not forever. And, uh, you know, like Twain said, the best time, the best way to get ahead is to get started. Um, but literally it's just realizing the clock never stops. It, it's always ticking. So, um, you know, the best way to get ahead is to get started, get on it. Yeah, it is. And I I think on, on my manifesto, I say, make your time count. You know, I think that time, time counts every single day, you know, there's, it's an opportunity to to make a difference and to make something happen. So, that's right. so I, I think that's very, very well put. Uh, okay. Is there a resource you'd recommend for someone at the start of their journey? So be it a book, a website, a podcast, anything that's been useful for you. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say it again. The greatest salesman in the world, Og Mandino. I, I highly recommend that book for anyone that wants to transform themselves, that wants to transform their life. They want to achieve. It's a great life lessons book. Uh, The other one that I just really love is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yeah. The other one, I guess it's a fun read if you like it, is uh, Innovator's Dilemma by Christensen, Harvard Business Press. That's also a real fun read just to see how things 
how things change and how you can do what everybody else is doing. But if you do it differently in the right way, you can be wildly successful. Okay, interesting. I don't know that one. So that's one I'd have to check out myself. Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And the final question, is there anyone you'd recommend um, as a guest on a future episode of the show? Oh, man, I just, yeah, there's so many people. Um, And I'm just, I mean, you already got Shira. She's a great one. Um, I got a great friend who I think is just an awesome guy, uh, James Croyle. He's in Singapore. Uh, He's an American. Just a fun, bright, sharp, witty guy that, you know, definitely has some uh, keen insights. He's he's a great guy. He's definitely would be good for the for the podcast. Brilliant. Well, I'd love an introduction and uh, we can we can get in touch. I'll do that. Thank you. Um, and and for the listeners, Shira's podcast, of course, is already live. She was live as episode 13. So go and have a listen to that as soon as you uh, finish this one today. So it's been brilliant talking with you, Grant. And if people want to find out more about you, where would they go? Gosh, uh, fortunately, no pictures at the post office. But uh, <laughs> of course, LinkedIn, Grant Aspland. Uh, I've got a website, be granted, B-E-G-R-A-N-T-E-D dot com, where I'm trying to kick off a, a little evangelic uh, motivational speaking effort. Um, that's a couple of good places right there. Grant at be granted would will get an email to me. Brilliant. Okay. No, that's great. And uh, just to thank you again, it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed talking with you and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so very much, Rob. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. I wish you all the success and and ladies and gentlemen, swing for the fences, swing for the fences. (laughs) Thank you. You bet. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Grant's charisma and energy is infectious. And it's worth adding, it was 7am for him in Washington State when we recorded this. I could highlight so many points, but I loved how it's important to understand what you're selling. And also his definition of luck, that it's opportunity met with preparation. Learning to unlearn is another one. Sue Belton spoke of the same thing last week, and taking that step back to understand why we believe certain things, or do things in a certain way, will help us all to make better decisions moving forwards. If this episode has inspired you to pursue the idea of starting your own business, start with my three-minute quiz today at robcurr.co.uk forward slash quiz. On next week's episode, I speak with the wonderful Daria Yegarina on building the future now. So subscribe now to get notified of this on Tuesday morning. It's another cracker. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.